Sydney free kick. Sydney free kick. Sydney free kick. Okay, Hayden, you have the goal. Free kick for an interchange breach, and it's a 50 metre penalty. Okay. So McLean is going to put Sydney in front with 50 seconds remaining. They might tear the joint down, the Roos fans. Yes, what an event at Marvel Stadium on Saturday, of course, North Melbourne. Very brave, but eventually beaten. I saw enough on Saturday to think that North Melbourne and their midfield have a very bright future, and the bloke who counts their interchanges doesn't. On the show now, Code Sports' Daniel Cherney. We always get Daniel on on a Monday to chew through what has happened on the East Coast. We might get him to chew through a few matters that are happening on the West Coast or at West Coast at the moment today as well. But, Daniel, welcome. Uh, what did you make of the goings-on at Marvel on Saturday? Good day, Duff. Yeah, just extraordinary scenes, clearly. Uh, you don't see that sort of situation very often. I, I did, it did cast my mind back to a game in 2010 between St Kilda and Hawthorne where I recall this, – now, this is an, an old iteration of the uh, interchange – where uh, the Hawks, I think, put one too many players on the field for, or had someone step over the line prematurely, uh, led to a 50-metre penalty, which denied Cyril Rioli what would have been a match-winning goal and end up being a draw. Ben McAvoy, just the, the tying goal, sort of ironic given he ended up going on to become a premiership player at, at Hawthorne. But, uh, yeah, the reason you remember those sorts of things is because they are so rare uh, and ultimately heartbreaking for North Melbourne, clearly, in, in the circumstances. Uh, you couldn't make it up. Um, the match was obviously in its dying moments. Uh, the Swans had been probably lucky to even get as close as they had at that point. And then, uh, obviously, uh, the, the, uh, you just see this free kick plucked out of nowhere. There's this hold-up. Can't quite figure out what's going on. Hayden McLean suddenly with a, a shot from point-blank range, and, and that ends up being the difference. So, very disappointing for North Melbourne. Uh, look, having said that, obviously, in the grand scheme of things, not... You know, it doesn't really matter whether they win or lose these games. At this point, it's not going to cost them a final spot or anything like that. I mean, the, the, the ultra cynic in you would suggest that uh, it's actually beneficial for them um, in terms of the uh, the draft pick situation, although given how poor West Coast are going, or the West Coast are going, it, it's probably not going to matter too much in terms of getting pick one. But, uh, yeah, extraordinary scenes and um, not, not a situation that you're likely to see very often. No, I mean, obviously the fans want to see their team win, but you're right. I, I, I came away from watching that game with an incredible sense of optimism about North because I'm just adding up the players they are going to run through that midfield in three years' time. And we looked at Wardlaw in his first game. You look at um, Jai Simpkin, Harry Sheasel, who went into the midfield for that game and almost became the match winner. Uh, probably should have been the match winner, really, um, had, had they not got their interchange uh, in, interchanges wrong. Um, you've got Luke Davies-Uniak, who didn't even play, and, and Will Phillips has been a malign number three pick in the draft but showed a lot in that game as well and, and looks like a really good inside ball winner and a distributor to, to the players around him. So... I, I looked at that and I thought, wow, I, I think West Coast would love to have a midfield like that and be placed uh, in that position that, that North Melbourne are in um, going forward. Um, it was just that the pain of losing when you've lost a lot for their supporters was uh, was a bit hard to bear. Probably made a little bit more painful by the fact that Hugh Green would have just had his head taken off at the at the top end of the square and not, not received a free kick for it as well. So they were probably thinking they were due a free rather than have it go the other way. Yeah, and I think also in the circumstances, given the emotion of the week and the situation surrounding Alistair Clarkson and the sense of siege mentality from North Melbourne, which is, which is a sense that you get at that club over a long period of time, probably because of the existential challenges that have faced them over the years and uh, the, the sense that they're always uh, fighting an uphill battle on, on just about every front. 
But it's funny, you, you talk through North Melbourne's youngsters and, and the midfielders, and we don't even talk about Taron Thomas, um, but if he can somehow turn things around to the extent that he gets a good run at it, um, and, you know, he's, he's cleared of, uh, of the sort of allegations against him, uh, then, and those are all ifs, clearly, but um, <clears throat> I think he's about as talented a player as any on that list. Uh, and then when you add it to Sheasel and Wardlaw and Simkin and Davies Uniac and Phillips as he, as he comes along, no, there's, there's a lot to like there. It's, uh, it's interesting you talk about Wardlaw. Uh, obviously, injury meant that he only made his debut in round 10, but and he missed a fair bit of footy last year through injury. But uh, from, the, from the underage footy that I saw last year, it was a reasonable bit. The, uh, you know, I really like Ashcroft. Clearly, she's all a very talented player. But the two players that really on the eye test stood out to me um, were George Wardlaw and Elijah Hewitt. Uh, and George Wardlaw, just some of the, the midfield burst work that he did um, playing in the uh, what, was, what was then the NAB League last year, uh, it was just incredibly eye-catching, and I think he can be a, 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 an outstanding player. Now, he's one game into his career and uh, obviously a long, long way to go, but really like him. And, you know, I mentioned Elijah Hewitt, who can't get a game in West, West Coast at the moment, which is uh, saying something. But, um, you know, I think he can be a very, very good player too, but obviously he's got a, a lot of work in front of him at a young age. Yeah, well, I think Elijah's been out with an ankle injury, so he basically, they they resisted the temptation to bring him in cold um, on the weekend. He probably would have done as well, if not better, than uh, a lot of the players that did, out, did have out there. But they did bring Noah Long in cold off a hamstring injury, so they were probably thinking that uh, bringing two youngsters in in that state was probably not ideal, and even having one is not ideal. There's a lot that's not ideal at West Coast at the moment. What's the... What's the view of them over on the East Coast, Daniel? Oh, look, I think you've probably seen some of the headlines already. I mean, I saw Damien Barrett saying it's the lowest point in the class history, uh, even lower than the drug saga. I, I think that is, obviously, respect Damo greatly. I think that's a touch hyperbolic um, in terms of the drug saga. You know, you just can't compare the loss of life and the, the uh, absolute horrendous stuff that went on there and, and the life-changing situations to, what, to what's going on and the team being just pathetic on the field. But having said that, in terms of on-field years, I think it, it, it is there. They have reached a new low. Saw your piece, a really strong piece um, yesterday. And it's hard to argue against uh, on, on any front. Um, you know, you just can't be losing by uh, 116 points to, to the bottom side, and the, the side that you were theoretically um, on, on a similar plane to. Uh, and West Coast were only marginally younger than Hawthorne yesterday. Like, you know, youth is a, is a great excuse until you come up against another young side. Uh, and I saw someone on Twitter said that, you know, is, does West Coast have maybe maybe two players in that team yesterday, sort of above average AFL player standard? Uh, you know, I would say, mate, probably... Um, oh, look, Oscar Allen had a poor game, but you, you include him there clearly. But him, um, Dom, Dom Sheed and, and Tim Kelly. And from there, it's... I'm not sure there's any, really, at this point. Uh, maybe Alex Witherden's having an OK year, but... It's uh, it's just grim, isn't it? And I think there's a sense. Look, I, I must say, I, I didn't see it coming to this extent, but I saw. I, must, I thought they were going to have a really tough time of it, um, just because of the way the system works. Clearly, injuries have exacerbated it all. I mean, you've written about it at length. Um, the age profile, the injuries, and all that. Uh, they haven't. They have that this massive chasm in the middle age bracket. You know, not not. Um, telling anyone in, in here they, they don't already know 
but it's uh, just such a long way back. Um, and you just want to see some signs, some signs, some glimpses. I thought in the first probably month of the season there were some glimpses. Obviously, they beat the Giants when, when they had when, when West Coast had a lot more players in their side. But just these constant shellackings, especially against another lowly team, it's uh, it's one thing to lose, but to lose like that, gee, you just got to be better than that. And um, and they're just a million million miles off it. And, and really, they're they're about as bad as the side as I can remember, because it's just not... It's, it's what, 400-point losses in the last uh, 25 games or something like that. Uh, you know, countless more sort of got losses between 50 and 100 points. Um, you know, they're just not coming close. No, they haven't been closer than 40 points since round two. So, so since the, the loss to GWS, they have not come closer than 40 points to an opponent. So that's eight weeks in a row of 40-plus losses with... Two over a hundred and one of seventy. Um, that, that's that's pretty dire. I, I would probably put Liam Duggan um, in the group you mentioned as you know probably maybe not far above average as an AFL player, but a good serviceable, solid AFL player, and certainly a good enough player if they chose him to be captain to be the captain. I think, and I think he's uh, he's firming as a possible captaincy choice for them next year because I can't see Luke Shuey continuing. It's just that, um, and I think the key one. You mentioned there, and I certainly mentioned this in my piece for Code Sports, the massive hole in the list between the old and the young. It's a, it's a chasm. It's an absolute chasm. And, and, and that's what we don't see at Hawthorne and we don't see at North Melbourne. North Melbourne have players we see coming through to fill that void, and we just don't see that at West Coast. Yeah, and North have Simkin, you know, who is a 2016 draft. Um, David Zidiak, 2017 draft. Nick Larky uh, was around that mark, possible, I think the 2016 draft off the top of my head. Ben Mackay, who hasn't had a great year, but, you know, still, and may not be at the club next year, but, you know, still a, a reasonable AFL player. 2015 draft, whereas West Coast, there's just this massive gulf, um, you know, from, the, from probably Duggan and Sheed, and then Kelly, who obviously they could have, taken, they, they could have had, as we know, in, in 2017. Um, and now Liam Ryan... Uh, clearly injured, you know, a, a very good player at his best uh, and would make a sizable difference. And, and there, there are several others there that, that have been missed through injury. But overall, um, that middle bracket is just a mile off it. Um, I know Sam Abertrevsky seaton is injured at the moment, but, you know, he's uh, he hasn't shown enough since he's come over from, from Carlton. And, you know, they brought in Jaden Hunt in part to sort of fill this gap and he just hasn't really delivered at any great level. Um, I touched on Witherden. He's been a bit better this year, but you know he, it's, um, he's fighting a losing battle in, in defence and has his limitations. So it's a very, very difficult situation there for West Coast. They've been left with this massive gulf um, through several reasons: uh, some, some poor picks, um, the fact that they were up and about, uh, and therefore didn't have great picks trading out for clearly for um, for Kelly is obviously the, the elephant in the room. And uh, the system is sort of designed to uh, to catch up with you like this, but just not to the extent that it has. You know, they just would have hoped that the, the likes of uh, of Bailey Williams or, or Callum Jamison or, or whoever it is, Harry Edwards, just these guys would just be showing more by now. And and they're just not, because you look at Hawthorne and you look at Josh Weddle yesterday, who, um, you know, was, was outstanding for the Hawks is, uh, as a first-year player, or, or even a Connor Nash, who, you know, an Irishman um, in what is he's, he's probably his sixth or seventh year, so pretty much in that middle age bracket on the list, um, a, a sort of emerging top-line player at that club, and West Coast just don't have probably any of those. No. Um, 
your view of Richmond, we talk about Richmond every week, um, but they came up a point short of Essendon. What did I say about the two clubs? It was a great win by the Bombers, and I was happy for them because they've had such a tough time of it against the against the Tigers. And the way they snatched it was was quite dramatic with, the, of course, Mason Redmond bolting down the outer side of the ground and, uh, and then being able to get the ball to Durham in the goal square. But um, what did you make of that game and the implications for the two teams? Look, I think what it probably says is that both of those sides, it probably speaks to the ultimate truth about both those sides, is that they're both um, middle-of-the-road teams. Uh, and I think it, most of what we've seen so far this year would, would suggest as much. Uh, Richmond have clearly lost a few close ones, Eston getting it done, and a close one on, on Saturday night. Uh, I think, you know, clearly both have some limitations. Uh, both went up and running. Um, but their top-line senior players, when they're all up and running, I think are both pretty good teams on their day, but just don't have enough consistency to sort of really contend with the top six with any great regularity. I mean, we saw Richmond beat Geelong last week, but I think Geelong's form line, you know, we're probably getting a bit more clarity around them. I mean, they were, I know when they, went, when they were 0-3 or even 0-2, there was this talk of, you know, well, they've got a pretty soft run coming up, don't they? And then they did play themselves back into form with massive wins over Hawthorne, West Coast, um, Sydney, and, and then uh, Essendon as well, and, and the Crows. Um, but when you look at that lot of wins compared to uh, how all these other teams have, when you consider how some of those tight sides they've beaten have gone since then, it's not a particularly impressive run of wins uh, in the grand scheme of things. So then the fact that Richmond beat Geelong is great for Richmond, but uh, maybe didn't say quite as much about the Tigers as it did about the Cats. And the fact that the Cats have then lost on, on the week, weekend uh, the Dockers, again, just puts a bit more context around it. We've got, sort of got to this point round 10 where um, most sides, you know, sides have played more teams than they haven't. Uh, and, and we get a, a pretty good context around where, you know, who's who in the zoo. And I think what it shows is that Richmond are a middle-of-the-road side, so too are Essendon. I think so too probably are Geelong at this point. Um, you know, I think on their day, they can, when it's all clicking and they have their full allotment, um, that they they can push right up there, but from five and five, it's it's they're going to need everything to go right from from now, and I'm just not sure that that's going to happen. So um, I don't know that didn't necessarily answer the direct question about Richmond and Essendon. We'll probably expand a bit on that, but uh, I think just some of these results are providing pretty important context um, in the grand scheme of things. A couple of players, Zach Merritt as the captain of Essendon and the chase down tackle of Dustin Martin, which was for everything else he did on that night was probably the thing we will remember. It's not something he was known for in his previous um, existence as an AFL player, but it was the act of a captain that that changed the outcome of a game and he will be remembered for that. Um, Him first, I'll let you talk about him and then I'll ask you about a second player from a different club. Yeah, look, Merritt, he's a bit of an interesting player. He's an interesting player. I think he's been a bit polarising. Um, perhaps there has been a sense, like all of Essendon's midfield, that, that they are you know, run, one, one-way runners, and clearly Brad Scott had been brought in to try to stop that and, and harness them uh, and, and ensure that the Bombers probably for once were, were at least equal to, if not more than the sum of their parts. And I think they are getting to that point. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm still not completely convinced on, on them, but uh, it was an important win for them. It sort of keeps them around that top eight, top eight hunt. And yeah, great moment for Merritt. Um, you know, voted unanimously as best of field winning the uh, the Yukon Award. Uh, in doing so, deservedly so. 39 disposals, great run down and tackle, led the way. And uh, yeah, I mean, he, he, he's a very good player. I don't think it was, there were ever too many doubts about that. 
Um, he, apply, he, um, he provides an important dynamic to that midfield. Uh, and, you know, I think most clubs would, uh, would be very, very happy to have, all clubs would be very, very happy to have a player like Zach Merritt in their side. The other player comes from Port Adelaide, Zach Butters. That game he played against Melbourne on Friday night, that has to rate with the best individual performances I've seen this year. I just wanted to ask you generally, um, if you did a top 20 right now in the AFL, would Zach Butters be in it? be very, very close, if not in it. Um, I think, you know, and, and obviously talking on the back of what was the best game of his career, um, really a signature game for him to this point. Uh, what, he's only in his fifth season on the list, so still a baby. He's had some injury concerns over that period as well, so he's not, he hasn't even had the, a clean run at it. Uh, but I think there's been a sense probably from the first or second year uh, of his career that Ever up, that there's a general sense of how special a player he could be. Just the ball use, the toughness, uh, incredibly tough for who, who, a guy who still is a pretty small bloke to get that much of the ball in, in, in what the condition, conditions that you'd imagine better suited to a bigger body um, players in the wet. You know, it was an outstanding game up against Melbourne, who clearly one of the great midfields of, of the modern era. Uh, and, and yeah, he's, he's well on the way. Um, to being an All-Australian this year and uh, most like, you know, I suppose he has to be in that consideration for the, for the top 2025 players. I mean, I think uh, if he can string this sort of run together, not, not, not saying he's have 41 every week or it wasn't 41 and two, but if he can have sort of, if he can consistently become a 30 disposal ball winner most weeks and, and uh, average, you know, close enough to a goal a game, I mean, he will very quickly become into the conversation with that uh, Petrarca Bontempelli level of player. And he's sort of gradually getting there already. Just one more quickie before I let you go, Daniel. Uh, are Port in the Premiership mix now? I think so. I think they have to be considered. Um, you know, if, if you win, what is it, seven on the trot, uh, and they've just set, set up their season so well, I think we just forget that it's not that long ago. You know, They were a top four side consecutive seasons in 2020 and 2021. And they lost a lot of close ones last year and then still charged back to be sort of in the mix of the eight until pretty late. So, And then they've added some nice pieces since then. They've got a few players out at the moment too to come back. Uh, still a bit, I'm still a bit uncertain about their key defensive post, <clears throat> albeit I really like Aaliyah Aaliyah as a player. But, uh, Tom Jonas has me a bit worried and, and, and uh, Trent McKenzie too. But on just about every other front, I mean, the ruck is, is always a curious one. I'm not quite sure what the best setup is for them. Is it Peek or is it Lysett? Um, is it Jeremy Finlayson sort of um, playing that undersized ruck and adding that extra midfield, midfield to, the, uh, to the rotation? He's become a really nice player, Jeremy Finlayson. Probably better than I thought he was at the Giants. But, um, yeah, I think they have to be um, because their they're best players now are all young and, uh, or for the most part, young and, and, and improving. I think there's still a fair bit of upside there. So to get yourself to eight and two... Uh, and have the talent that they do um, in a year where Collingwood are probably the best side to, to this point, but they're not absolutely streets ahead of the field. I think um, I think Port are in the conversation, but, but, but no, I certainly wouldn't have them as, as one of the, the two or three favourites. But you know they're probably in that uh, they've probably moved up to that fourth seed now behind uh, Pine the Pies, the Lions, and the Demons. Daniel, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us on the show today and sharing your thoughts with us. And uh, we look forward to speaking with you again very soon. No worries, Duff. Good on you.
Daniel Cherney from Code Sports always gives us a great wrap on events on the East Coast over the weekend. We'll take a break and be back with more of the show after the break. If you want to give us your thoughts, there's a lot of text coming through, which we'll get to in the last half hour of the show on West Coast. You can do that on the Temper at Bedshed text line 0487 736 736.